My name is Kyle. I help run the uh, the prayer room, the Lake Travis prayer room for the community as a community resource center for prayer and worship. And I help lead our students. And I just do a bunch of different things around the church. But really, I was just struck with um, my favorite place and my favorite job title is just what I got to do in worship. And that's just sit and be before the Lord and just give my love to him. <laughs> that's if you think about what does Kyle do that? That's hopefully that's what what you think about. And that's for all of us too. a lot of us get we get off work at five. We don't go to sleep till 10 or 11. There's so many hours in the day that we can actually cross over and convert to just sitting at the feet of Jesus, turning on worship music or even just having it silent. That's what I love about this church is I I feel like even during worship, we were uh, the Lord was showing me how much this church is a church that misses him. We miss Jesus, and that's a holy thing, and that's a good thing, where we miss Jesus more than we miss the next big thing that the Lord's trying to get us to, to miss and to uh, focus our attention and our time on. So let us continue. Let us grow in our longing for Jesus, for his physical return, uh, for the manifestations of his power in the meantime that we experienced this morning. Let us keep being a church that misses him. That's what it's all about. Isaiah 35, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles or in your iPhones to Isaiah chapter 35. Today we're going to keep it pretty simple. Uh, We're just going to go through Isaiah 35 line by line, verse by verse, and just allow the word of God itself to encourage and strengthen our hearts. The title of this message is Behold the Coming Kingdom, which happens to be the translator's little title of my granddad's Bible that's on the front row where I read it and studied out of it this week. I like that title because I think it does a great job of summing up the theme of this chapter. I actually believe that this title holds a little secret to endurance for us right now in the in-between where we experience a measure of healing, but there's still junk (laughs) that's waiting for us out there and that still will be there until the Lord actually comes back. There's an in-between period that we all find ourselves in, this in-between where we're tasting authentic evidence of the coming kingdom of God, but still haven't fully yet realized it and experienced it in every area of our daily living. There's a kind of already but not yet tension to this Christian life where we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, but also find ourselves subject to the many earthbound pains, sorrows, disappointments, tiredness, losses, that I think if we're honest, each one of us could could say that we experience many of these disappointments, at least in some measure, every single day. But the title of this message, Behold the Coming Kingdom, I believe contains in it a simple divine strategy for perseverance. Beholding the coming coming kingdom gives us strength for today, right now in the in-between. It fuels us to remain faithful to God to keep pressing in for more like we did this morning in worship because his kingdom is a never-ending kingdom. It's always increasing. Isaiah 9-7 promises us that of the increase of Jesus' kingdom, there will be no end. Seeking for more of God becomes a very logical and healthy pursuit in light of this truth, this verse. Beholding the coming kingdom practically serves to keep us loving others even if they disappoint us over and over again. Maybe it's got people in their life that do that. Well, if you behold the coming kingdom, you actually can love them right now in the in-between really well because you know a better day is coming. Beholding the coming kingdom keeps us bold 
and unashamed and courageous to stand for the good news in our workplaces, other places like HEB, fully abandoned and free because we can be ourselves, knowing that one day we can fully be ourselves. We can actually start right now. Now, what does this phrase, beholding the coming kingdom, practically mean for us? I believe the most practical, down-to-earth way to behold the coming kingdom is simply to focus and to meditate on what's already written down in the Bible on the subject of what, it, what is awaiting us in the age to come. The Bible has much to say about eternity in God's kingdom, probably because God is a good father and he knows we need a lot of reminding and heavenly ammo in our hearts in order to overcome this often, as one of our friends from KC said, this often jacked up world. You can get pretty jacked up. You're going to need a lot of ammo, Catrail, to go back to Lake Jarvis High School. <laughs> but you have a lot of it. It's in the written word. Let me say this with confidence. Digging into passages in the Old and New Testaments that show us the glory that is awaiting us, the personal rewards for overcoming, and just the general atmosphere of the heavenly kingdom will serve us well. These passages will become to us unshakable anchors of hope that we can keep going back to, keep drawing encouragement, like going back to a well for water. Through the word of God, we can build our faith in the fact that Jesus is actually coming back to make every wrong thing right, to establish a perfect government of pain-free worship that he invites us into to be co-rulers with him forever. Now listen to this. The measure that we behold and believe what the Bible tells us about the coming kingdom is a measure that we will remain loyal to God now in the in-between. I'll say that again. The measure that we behold and believe what the Bible tells us about the coming kingdom is a measure that we will remain loyal to God now in the in-between. Saying it another way, the measure that we set our eternal realities in our sights is the measure that we will overcome discouragement and remain in faith today. Jesus actually commands his followers in John 16, to take courage. Everyone say, take courage. And we can take it in most readily with what I've been talking about by beholding the Bible itself. So let's do that now in Isaiah 35. There's 10 verses here. As I read them, uh, just let these words wash over you like a pre-rinse at a car wash. If you don't understand them, that's okay. Hopefully by the time we get done today, and I'll read the spot free rinse over you at the end, it's going to make a lot more sense and we're all going to walk out of here shiny and clean and more equipped to endure and rise above the mud and the potholes that are not on 620 because we have a really good road, but are out there with discouragements and disappointments that might try to trip us up. Isaiah 35. I'm going to start reading. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. 
Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, or coyotes, or stray dogs, where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks on the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. (laughs) No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing and with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Pre-soak cycle complete. Let's behold the first two verses here just to mine out some of the riches that are contained in the first two verses. I'll read again. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. Just look at all this positivity here. The coming kingdom is going to have natural creation itself expressing human emotions, song, praise, dancing. Now, who is the once desolate wilderness and desert wasteland expressing joy for? What is that them from verse 1? It says the wilderness and the wasteland or the desert places will be glad for them. Sneak preview, it's us, the sons and daughters of God. We are the them that this natural creation is going to be glad for. Why is the desert rejoicing? Or the Hebrew word means to literally dance and spin in excitement. Why is like dust literally going to do a whirlwind tornado, but it's going to be singing and dancing praise to God? Why is that going to happen? It says also in this verse that this place is going to blossom. Now, we know blossom in our modern speech means that someone comes into their own or comes into their identity. Why will the natural desert, the rocks, the sand, why will it blossom and come into its own identity and express such wonderful human emotions such as singing and dancing? Let me challenge you according to Romans 8, 19. Then in the coming kingdom, there will be a literal expression of joy from natural creation. When we... Yes, we, Paul Wyatt, when we fully arrive and settle into our identity as sons and daughters of God, Romans 8, 19 says this. It says, for the earnest expectation of the creation, like the sand and the rocks of the desert here, eagerly waits, like it's on the edge of its seat, waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. It's waiting for you, Lane, to know who you are. It's crazy. It's in the Bible, though. It's everywhere in the Bible. Nature is on our team. Creation is rooting for us. The Negev Desert, which is what is pictured here, is what is in the mind of Isaiah. It's to the south of Israel. The Negev Desert is waiting for all of us to realize what we already are, that we are indeed fully accepted. Everyone say fully accepted. Sons and daughters of God. Because of Jesus. 
Y'all are awesome. Y'all didn't have to say those, those last two things, but y'all did. <laughs> Fully accepted. When we walk in our full identity, trees get their voice. Like literally get their voice. When we know who we are, deserts miraculously bloom. Flowers that will dance, clap, radiate beautiful light, sing beautiful melodies to God. The hills will be alive with the sound of music. Yes, and it won't just be fantasy and imagination like Julie Andrews singing in the hillside of Austria. It'll be real. Isn't that a fun thing to look forward to? I'm <laughs> I remember I was in the middle school, Lake Travis Middle School, and it's in the hill country. This isn't in my notes. It was in the hill country, and I'm like surrounded by all these kids. I'm praying for them, not out loud, but in my heart. I'm like, the Lord had already done cool stuff today. I'm looking out on the window while this stupid Bill Nye uh, videos playing. And I'm thinking, all this limestone around here, all these hills. I'm reading Psalm 97 and 98, which is what we're going to read in a second. I'm thinking, these rocks are going to start singing. Like, can they start now? When I know that they're going to sing, and I like, it, I had faith that somehow those rocks were resonating glory to God, and it was bringing more breakthrough, more downloads to the kids in the school. I was reading in my Bible. I just, I take it literally. It's, it's going to happen. What a cool thought, though. Like, Rachel, you're helping to give the desert its voice. <laughs> the limestone's going to resonate glorious, heavenly notes when we fully realize who we are. Look at Psalm 98, 7 through 9, specifically verse 8. Think of the Colorado River, or Lake Travis, or, or Town Lake which is all the Colorado River. Verse seven, let the sea roar and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. You see the context of this. It's in the coming of the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity or fairness. When we don't crumble, listen here, when we don't crumble to culture, comparison, but we rest confidently in who our Father in heaven says we are, when we do this, the oak tree outside your door is going to get its voice. It's going to be singing. The Colorado River is somehow going to clap for joy. Let this be a fun thing to look forward to. This is the true save the planet Greenpeace message, right? You want green peace? You want to save the planet? Worship Jesus. Rest in the arms of the loving Father. <laughs> you won't have to worry about throwing your Taco Bell outside the window. Like, don't do that. But, like, you're going to help. <laughs> I have here, I said, take that, Al Gore. But I don't feel like, like knocking on Al Gore right now. The best thing, though, for Al Gore is for him to know who he is, that he's created by God and that he's created to love and worship Jesus. That's really going to help the polar ice caps, Al Gore, and the polar bears. That's going to save the polar bears, if you're listening, Al Gore. So in summary of these first two verses, all of creation will sing praises in the coming kingdom. For all my nature lovers, behold this truth. Let it give us extra motivation to live holy lives and to learn and grow in our identity as accepted in the beloved. 
We are children of God. Now, don't get too weird about this and start worshiping trees and birds and get too focused on them. Just know that this stuff is actually going to happen. Think about this. If Jesus said in Luke 19.40 that the physical stones and limestone around him as he was walking in had the possibility of crying out in praise, I believe him. He wouldn't have said it if it weren't possible. And it just lines up with Romans 8, with this passage in Isaiah 35, with Psalm 98, throughout the Bible. Let's look at the end of verse 2 here. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Now, Isaiah is continuing the idea He's extending the nature picture here, that physical creation like Mount Carmel, the plain of Sharon, uh, the glory of Lebanon, these places are going to see, they're going to have eyes to see their creator in all of its glory and excellency. And they're going to sing, and they're going to love it. But I want to give this part of verse 2 a more practical down the earth, down to earth right now application. These three places metaphorically represent people in their heart conditions throughout the Bible. God would, he placed people in a land to teach them about himself, about other people around him. So when Isaiah spoke of the glory of Lebanon, he was referring to what Lebanon was known for in the ancient world. They're stately, massive cedars that were found high up in the mountains. It's not like our weak sauce cedars that we have here. Sorry, hill country cedars. I didn't mean that. You're going to sing praise one day too, just like these trees. These trees in Lebanon were the most majestic cedars in all of the Middle East. They were prized for everything and a sign of great power and wealth and that there was water nearby. Oftentimes in the Bible, its authors and even in the, the culture around them use these trees as a metaphor for kings and other nobles and people of great pride and power. They were likened to the cedars of Lebanon. You can kind of see why. I think Isaiah is doing that here. So what this verse is promising us is that in the coming kingdom, the most prominent, highest kings and nobles and the people with all the power and prestige and notoriety, the people that seem to have it all, the presidents, the billionaires, the Bill Gates, the Michael, Del- Be- Michael Dells, <laughs> the Tom Brady's, the Donald Trump's, the Kanye West, all these great, high and mighty, excellent cedars will one day see the glory of the Lord, like this verse says. They will see the true excellency of the one true God, and they will have to bow, realizing their own excellency is nothing compared to true excellency. They're going to see it. So next time you find yourself wishing you were someone else, (laughs) wishing you had higher stature or prestige or wealth or a better car, a better house, just know one day the whole playing field is literally going to be equal, and there will be one exalted on that day. That gives me confidence that it doesn't really matter. Only the people who are faithful lovers of God and faithful with the measure of the gifts and talents and faith that he gave them, only these faithful ones will be exalted to be co-heirs in the highest chair in the land, the highest office, the forever throne of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Revelation 3.21, just another little ammo in your heart for eternity, that if we overcome, we literally get to sit with him on his throne. So don't get bent out of shape and be tempted to quit when you're not president of your company or middle management or your ministry's not bigger. 
Be faithful with what God has given you. Love Jesus with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself and you will sit with Christ and reign with him forever. <laughs> Patrick, you're gonna reign with Christ forever. You're building awesome stuff right now. You're gonna reign with Christ forever though. Doesn't matter what anyone else in your office is saying <laughs> or in your corporation. That's cool. <laughs> the pictures of Carmel and Sharon extend this metaphor further, though. The next two in the verse. They show the majestic peak of Mount Carmel in the north of Israel and the low, verdant valley of the plain of Sharon that was really flat just below it. They represent the heart conditions of people. That's what Isaiah is doing here. Whether they are walking high and lofty in pride, like Mount Carmel in the top right, it's represented by the towering peak there or walking with God in meek, lowly humility like the plain of Sharon. That's what he's doing here. The ones who were puffed up with pride and thought they were all that, even in religious settings, they will mourn in the coming kingdom when they see Jesus. They're going to be super sad forever. And the ones who in their hearts were like the low plain of Sharon, lowly and humble and happy to accept the free gift of salvation, to sit at his feet in love, these ones will sing for joy like the creation all around them. Just a little pastoral reminder before we move on. Before we are tempted to go off and unfair, unfairly categorize, especially in this area, a region of in, influence and affluence, before we do that, saying, oh yeah, you know, there's wealthy ones, the one with the $3 million house, they're like Mount Carmel and they're going to be brought low. Our social standing in no way determines the condition of our hearts. In no way. I know plenty of millionaires and successful leaders of companies that have hearts like the plain of Sharon. It's harder for them, probably. Jesus said it's hard for a rich man into the kingdom of heaven. But they're, they're still out there. They're lowly and humble and they love Jesus and are generous and have been faithful with what they've been given. And I can discern as far as I can are totally saved. God gave them a huge measure of favor and influence to bless other people. Abraham, I will make you a blessing so you can bless other people. And on the other side, I know people, a lot of people who even walk through these doors. They're living on the outside. They're homeless. They have nothing, but they are still somehow full of pride and want nothing to do with God. I've talked to both camps, so let's have a humble heart like the lowly plain of Sharon and let God himself exalt us to the heights of Carmel as we reign with him forever. Bottom line, summing up the first two verses, and I spent a lot of time on these just because it's not talked about a lot. I thought it's really cool that we know that the trees are going to sing. <laughs> Natural creation is going to sing for joy, and everyone from every social class is, and standing is going to see the same Jesus, and there's going to be an equal playing field. Verse 3 and 4. Strengthen the weak hands, or literally sinking hands. So picture someone like totally depressed with their hands down. And make firm the feeble knees when you're shaking in fear and your knees are trembling. Strengthen them. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. That's what this whole message is about. That's what we're doing today. When we behold the coming kingdom, we receive strength for the today. Our hands become strengthened to not, laying 
not hang low in depression and despair, but instead be lifted up in exaltation and praise of our coming victorious King Jesus. Notice Isaiah's message to the fearful hearted is actually a message of the coming kingdom here, of God's judgment, that aspect of the end times that doesn't get talked about a lot. But there is a judgment coming on all evil, on every principality, every power, every work of the devil, those evils that were designed to steal, kill, and destroy our destinies. Isaiah knew, and our all too often fearful hearts need to know and hear again the truth, that there is a jealous God who will make war on our behalf. There is a jealous God who has, is currently, and will make war on your behalf. I want us to get a picture of the recompense and the repayment of God on all of our spiritual and even those natural enemies who sadly might not repent before that day. As I read this raw verse from Revelation, let it strengthen your heart and pray that you won't be offended by the judgment of Jesus. Let it cause you right now to live unoffended and not vengeful, knowing that vengeance is ultimately the Lord's and he actually is going to repay and judge all evil. Revelation 14 19 through 20. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. The vine here is represented as the enemies of God, both spiritual and actual people. This angel threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God, and the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles, about six feet tall, for 1,600 furlongs. Translating that into mileage, that's 184 miles long. The roads back then were probably 10, 12 feet wide, six feet tall, 184 miles long. You can do the math with the volume of blood, and then you can actually, I was thinking about it in worship, you can think, do the volume of blood that's on this road, and then you can, if someone wants to look up how much blood's in an actual human body, then you can do the math. Of how many people? How many? How many people's blood will be on that road? I believe it. It's, there's literally going to be a road, 184 miles long, six feet tall, 12 feet wide, with people's blood, who are enemies of God. Isaiah 63 makes it clear that Jesus is the one doing this wine press business. Our beautiful Jesus, who we sing to, picture Jesus crushing and stomping all of our foes. Jesus doesn't mess around. We heard last week that he was going to kill the, it was in a vision or in a dream, that he was going to kill this woman who had a real manifestation of the power of God. She got up out of her wheelchair and her husband locked her in a room, say, you can't talk about this Jesus for eight days. And Jesus came to the, her husband in a dream and says, you better let out your wife who I actually healed or I'm going to kill you. So let me read these two verses again in faith over the ones in this room who are prone to being fearful hearted. Be strong. Do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Rejoice in his judgment. Make the choice now, as Mike Bickle says, to not be offended now so you're not offended then. <laughs> Pray to not be offended. I, when I first read these verses years ago, I was super offended, but now I'm not. <laughs> you can get over it and realize that his judgment is good for his people. If someone was breaking into your house to, 
to hurt your son, you probably wouldn't kill him, Paul, but you'd do everything you can to stop him. <laughs> Our God's good, and he wants his, his bride to live in a world with no evil. Verses five through seven. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer. They're not even just going to be like back to normal, back to walking. They're going to be leaping, jumping like Russell Westbrook or Michael Jordan. The lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb or the mute shall sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, which I said earlier, were coyotes or stray dogs, where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. Isaiah, in these three verses, paints a picture of dry, barren deserts where stray dogs and coyotes once laid their heads in nothingness and dust. But he paints a picture that in this seemingly hopeless place, seemingly hopeless, there would one day be gushing, bursting, overflowing springs of water that would cause life and vegetation to spring up in a place where there was nothing but a barren wasteland before. There's a nice little coyote on the screen. Notice that word for, though. For, in the middle of verse 6. Isaiah, in verse 5, gives a list of four physical miracles. If you could put it, thank you. Isaiah in verse 5 gives a list of four physical miracles of restoration that await people in the coming kingdom. But this little connector word, for, is a grammatical means to show that these miracles have a cause, they have a source, they have a reason. Their cause is spelled out in what's after this word for in verse 6. Is there not a four up there? Okay, there you go, sorry. <laughs> it's like, this is all for naught if there's not a four. <laughs> like in my Bible it was. Maybe my granddad had an older version. Um, <laughs> he's attri- Isaiah is attributing these physical healings to have their source in some sort of healing waters that are gushing forth in the most unlikely of places, like a desert. Our associate pastor just said approximately 11.2 million people's uh, volume of blood if you do the math. So at least in that physical region, there will be 11.2 million on average if it was an average volume of blood who physically die at the coming of the Lord. Right now there's only 8 or 9 million in the land of Israel. And so there's a lot of enemies around the land of Israel. And so at least on that road, that's what the Lord showed John was going to happen. Think of a barren desert. You got a picture of your mind of a barren desert? We've seen a couple of pictures of it today. Got it? Okay. Now shift your thinking to the amount of true, authentic miracles that occur in churches in America. Pretty barren, right? Right now in most churches, disappointingly, it's kind of like this desert as far as miracles that Isaiah listed here. Where deaf people or Ashton, you would get your, your hearing back. Or people who are blind, where you would take off your glasses and you'd actually be able to see. That's disappointing. The facts on the ground is that most of the gatherings of believers, it is very unlikely to find blind eyes being physically open, physical ears being opened. It's very rare to see or even hear people in wheelchairs. We heard a testimony last week. It's very rare to hear that, where they're healed and leaping and jumping like a deer. Where people who have tongues that are mute, think of your daughter, 
instantly being able to sing and praise to God and speak clearly. She can speak, but you know the, the clear that, or she can sing and it's going to sound beautiful. I was thinking of worship just brought me to tears how beautiful her voice is going to be in the coming kingdom. But I want to hear it right now. <laughs> I want to hear it right now. It's going to be beautiful. But it's kind of like a barren desert right now. But do you believe God, just as Isaiah saw, that there is a coming rushing torrent of water that it is going to bring physical healing? <laughs> yeah. Isaiah saw this river of divine healing coming. He knew that one day in the eternal kingdom, every blind person would have sight. That's comforting to think of. He knew that in heaven, every ear would be open to hear God's voice and the 10,000 upon 10,000 angels singing their praise to God. Isaiah saw that even if people were wheelchair bound their whole life, this comforts me, in Jesus' kingdom, they're gonna be able to jump, like I said earlier, like Michael Jordan or Russell Westbrook. They're gonna dance, they're gonna run, they're gonna play as freely as they want. He saw the ones who were bound under Satan's curse and unable to use their tongues to sing praise and to speak of the glory of God here in this life would be able eventually to shout and sing beautifully forever. I think most of us can believe that and agree with Isaiah. Like, in heaven, it's gonna happen. But let me ask you this. Do you believe that the little down payments of testimonies, like we heard last week, the testimonies were physical, a touch was, was had here in this room. Do you believe that's real, that's legit? Yeah, because she felt a way before, she felt a way after. That lady was wheelchair bound with a muscular disease, then she was jumping and singing in the same service. There's true, authentic, verifiable doctors would say, you were this, and now you're this. I believe in a coming, rushing torrent of the rivers of healing, just like in Jesus' day in the early apostles, like Mansfield Dam breaking loose for our time before Jesus comes back. Healings that would point to the reality of a coming kingdom and exalt the divine power of God. That's what they're for. Healings that would force people to have to acknowledge the reality of a supernatural loving God. They're not because we're bored. It's because we want people to repent. And therefore, these miracles would put a renewed fork in the road for everyone who would hear these stories. It would cause them to have to make a decision. Everyone who heard that story last week of that woman in Indonesia had to make a decision. Am I in or am I out? Miracles, signs, wonders put a fork in the road, a renewed fork in the road for everyone who hears about them or sees them. They give amazing opportunities for repentance and faith in God for entire communities. I believe in this river that Isaiah saw in chapter 35. It's a real river. Look at verse 7, real important here. Let me ask you a question. What type of land in this verse, in verse 7, is promised these springs of water? Thirsty, parched too. What type of land is promised rivers of healing in a spiritual sense? The thirsty land. It's a land that was once barren, but didn't want to stay that way. <laughs> Think of the church. It, was what, it, was, it wasn't comfortable and complacent in its identity of being a desert forever, right? We're talking about physical healing. It wasn't cool just being a home for coyotes to roam 
or for people in wheelchairs to roam, roam around, but saw itself being full of verdant green life with grass and reeds and rushes. This thirsty land wanted to be a home for restored lives. It was desperate to throw, for people to throw away their wheelchairs and never touch them again. This land was thirsty to be a place where everything had life and experienced healing and restoration. It was a place that would welcome and steward the divine river of life that Ezekiel saw. Look it up in your Bible. Ezekiel saw this river. John saw this river of life. It actually exists in the heavenly realm. There's a real river. We want it here, Lord. I want it here for the church in America. The gospels in the book of Acts is literally littered, say that fast, literally littered with the fulfillments of this Isaiah 35 prophecy right here, right here, right now for today. Let's not give up, guys, until we see the blind sing, the deaf hearing, the wheelchair-bound dancing, and the mute singing. Let's believe in this river for the church of America. I'm excited because passages like these, even no matter what disappointment I've had earlier that week or in months prior, they cause me to press in harder, to seek God's face without distraction so that I can walk in the power that will bring about massive waves of repentance leading to salvation for entire cities. I want that. Verses like these cause me to refocus and remind myself that in the waiting, this stuff, yes, is actually going to happen in heaven, but also right now. Last three verses for us here. Verse eight. A highway shall be there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks on this road, although a fool, shall not go astray. A highway shall be there. Where? Well, as Isaiah 19 informs us, there's literally going to be a north to south highway running down the spine of the Middle East, connecting Syria to the north, Israel in the middle, and Egypt to the south. For us, and that road is going to bring back all the dispersion of Jewish people from all over the four corners of the world. For us, this highway speaks ultimately of our entrance into the heavenly kingdom, in the heavenly city of the New Jerusalem. My sister asked if I was talking about the New Jerusalem today. I was like, yes. Isaiah 35 is all about it. <laughs> in the meantime, <laughs> before we're walking to the New Jerusalem, this road gives us a goal, a target, and a picture of what the overcoming Christian life looks like. These three verses give us a sort of benefits package, if you can think about it that way, of what life on this highway looks like. What life on the highway that rises above the noise of culture and chatter, like kind of what Derek prayed in the beginning, a life that rises above that. This is what life on this highway looks like. Now, there's a tollway price, though. There's a text tag needed to walk on this road, a very real entrance fee. There is. It's simple, but it's the most valuable substance in the universe. A trillion times over. What's the text tag fee for this road? Blood of Christ, thank you. God's own blood, when we receive it in faith, we legally get the right to be on this road. He already paid the toll for us. We just have to remind the toll booth keeper that we're taken care of by Jesus. We've already been taken care of. He already paid our toll. 
you walk on this road in a spiritual sense covered by the blood of the lamb. So let's look at the benefits package. Look at verse eight again. There's nothing unclean on this road. Nothing unclean. You know in heaven, we'll never be tempted with an unclean thought again. We'll never be tempted with jealousy, envy, lust, pride, fear, anxiety. How wonderful is that? No unclean things or thoughts on this road. I love this line here. It says, whoever walks on this road, though a fool, shall not go astray. (laughs) Though a fool. (laughs) This gives me so much hope that even us, we're going to do foolish things today. We're very foolish works in progress. We're permitted entrance on this road, though, because somebody else, we just talked about it. Jesus himself paid the toll, the blood of the lamb. The fools shall not go astray. (laughs) We are promised to not go astray, even in our weak humanity, our weak love, and our foolishness, because his blood is just that powerful. And it's just that right to get us on the road. His grip on us as a jealous and good father that would kill all of our enemies, it's just that strong. He knows our love for him is real. This is in my notes. He, lo- he knows our love for him is real and has promised to honor this love. He's going to honor your, your real love with his own seal of fiery love and preserving leadership. He honors our love with preserving leadership. I think of Jude 24. You said it last week in your, in your message. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling or to keep you on this highway of holiness and to present you faultless, no unclean thing, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, singing like the trees are going to be singing. We serve a good God who is able to keep us on this pathway of holiness, on this road to the new Jerusalem. This is some good roadside assistance. You want to pay your whole life for this AAA membership. It's not AAA, though. It's triple G. God, God, God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Triple G, roadside assurance. What a good road to be on. Someone say, I'm glad to be on this road. I'm glad to be on this road. Look at verse 9. A few more of the benefits of the highways, benefits package before we're done. Worship team, you can come up. Y'all doing okay? Two more verses. No lion shall be there. That's good. This speaks of the devil, the false lion, because we know the lion of Judah is real, and he's, he's our conquering lion, but there's a false devil out there, an intimidating. Yeah, I see your face, Karen. I don't like it either. But he's not on this road. He's a false lion. First Peter 5.8 says this about him. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, be holy. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. This roaring lion can't go on this road. Super cool. Further, further in verse 8, no ravenous beast shall go up on it. I think this speaks of the devil's little minions, his demonic principalities and powers, like spirits of fear, physical sickness even. These ravenous beasts that work for the devil 
can't go on this road. That's also extremely good news. They have no entrance in the kingdom of heaven. They can't touch us there. They have no access to us in order to torment our minds and our bodies. But in the meantime, before these realities reach their fulfillment, let's take strong confidence in this truth that just like the healing realities we talked about before, the kingdom now reality can be ours, that we actually have been given authority to live above the noise and above the influence of the devil and his minions right here and right now. Let's really just pause and, and see ourselves on this road. See yourselves seated in the heavenly places on a high way, a high road that is above the influence of the demonic oppression and those strongholds that these ravenous beasts try to create and build in our minds. What does it practically mean for us to be on this road? It means here that Ashton, your no to sin actually has power behind it. Picture yourself on this military high ground of this road. The military high ground in war, you always had the advantage. Your no has power because it's spoken from this high ground of authority. The high ground of heaven seated with Christ in heavenly places, but seated on this highway of holiness in the in-between. This lion and this beasts, they're below you. They don't have legal access or authority to trespass on the highway of your thinking, this highway of holiness that God has, us, has you walking on. All of our no's have real zip behind it. Hear me this morning. You can say no to a spirit of fear. You can say no to depression. You can say no to pornography. If you have lustful thoughts, you can say no to that because you're on this road. You're on the high place. You can say no to overindulgence of media. You can say no to spending your money on stupid stuff. You can say no to harmful drugs and alcohol and habits that you don't want. And you know God is designed for you not to live in. You can even say no, listen to this guys, you can even say no to daydreaming and distracting thoughts when you're trying to read your Bible or focus on Jesus and worship. You have the power, you're on the road to say no to those things. See yourselves right now speaking your nose to those places in your life because you're on the high place, you're on the highway. Receive that fresh faith right now to really believe the fact that the devil will flee from you as you resist him. As James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He has to bow to your no. What a great benefit. For the last verse, Back to Isaiah 35. The redeemed of the Lord shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return. This shows us the occupants of this road, that there's nothing else. This speaks again of the blood of the Lamb, the only thing that can purchase us forever with God to live with Him. The ransom spoken of here is the bride price. Again, it's the blood of Jesus. You know, your bride price in the old times, they would like do 10 camels or a field if you wanted a bride. <laughs> the bride price, though, for Jesus, for us, the collective bride, was his 100% life that he gave, as my dad said earlier. We will never get over this, guys, because we don't even know. We can't even come close to this kind of love. We have no context for this kind of love. We're... <laughs> 
there's people who are closer than others to self-sacrificial love where it's, <laughs> but we'll never get over this, guys. I love that. We'll never lose the wonder of 100% of someone giving themselves 100%. The redeemed of the Lord shall walk there and the ransomed of the Lord shall return. How shall we return? In what frame of mind? And we're closing now. What frame of mind shall we enter the new Jerusalem? You can go ahead and stand up. What frame of mind are we going to be walking on this road as we enter the new Jerusalem? We're going to come with singing. The sound of music is going to be the entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Everlasting, visible joy is going to be seen on our heads. The end of the story, Deborah, is joy. The end of the story is song. It's dancing. We're going to be a dancing people that will obtain joy and gladness, as this verse says, because we are physically in the Lord's presence, and in the Lord's presence there is fullness of joy. I love the end of verse 10. Sorrow and sighing don't just leave us. They don't just kind of go like this, walk away from us. Think about this for your life today. Sorrow and sighing, those days when you want to sorrow and sigh, it doesn't just kind of tiptoe away. It flees away. It runs away from you. Sorrow and pain and sighing become scared of the confident sons and daughters of God. The trees are happy for us. Sorrow and sighing run away from us. As you glow and radiate the love of Jesus, his joy, sorrow and sighing, they don't want any part of that. So let's start now. Let's actually greet each other with so much joy in the fact that all these things that Isaiah has just talked about are going to be reality. Let's sing to each other, Nate, when I see you tomorrow, if you're going to be here tomorrow. Tuesday. Let us reject and say no to sorrow and sighing and watch it flee away and be the happiest people in your real estate office. Let's be happiest, let's be the happiest people in the line at Chick-fil-A because somehow they get through that line. I don't know how they do it so quick. But be happy knowing that you're gonna eat chicken and that this reality is is true forever. Not today, it's Sunday. Be the happiest people on 620 or I-35 in traffic, knowing that you're truly on the I-35 highway of holiness. Let's be a people with visible joy on their heads, like Brooke, my wife. The people who know there's a coming kingdom and those who live right now in the meantime with the rock-solid assurance that all of these promised realities are as good as gold because they've been purchased and secured with something far more precious than gold, the very blood of God. Let beholding the coming kingdom produce ravenous joy and a song in your heart, the people of River in the Hills. Let's be a people that sing.